The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Seems like a lot of you folks actually really enjoyed me starting yesterday's podcast by yelling, let me talk to you for a minute about Michael Porter Jr. Well, I don't have that guy for today's show, so don't get too excited. I'm going to try to have some opening monologues on the podcast going forward when the situation dictates it. And I didn't think that much from yesterday warranted a monologue today, because truly, while there are other guys we may need to deep dive, I don't think any of them has quite the same panic surrounding them as Michael Porter Jr. Although I will admit, James Harden, Damian Lillard, among first-rounders, people are starting to get a little bit uptight. We already talked about Harden, though. And I would feel similarly about Dame. If you want to go make a buy-low offer on him, that's... Have at it. Anywho, welcome to the show. You're in. You made it. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. And you guys know the drill at this point. This is your average, run-of-the-mill Thursday show. Provided today is Thursday. I think it is. It's very difficult for me to keep track of what day it is these days. News of the day, yesterday recap, and some homework for tonight before tomorrow's show. We'll talk to the great Aaron Bruski. A little uh, draft day review, what he's got going on in the NBA so far. We can talk a bit about the Aaron Bruski Very Premium Podcast. That's the name of it as part of the Fantasy Pass. And that'll again come up on tomorrow's program. As far as news goes, a few of the things actually stem from injuries suffered during yesterday's ballgame. So we'll get to those when we do our recap. A couple of slightly, we'll call them somewhat important tidbits. Kristaps Porzingis already ruled out for tonight. Daniel Gafford already ruled out for tonight. Not a big surprise there on either of those. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, who we'll talk about as well, ruled out for Friday already. Tomorrow's games. And P.J. Washington, still doubtful for tomorrow's games, also on the Hornets. A couple of new names creeping onto the board. Guys that we didn't really... T- uh, well, one of them I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, Nikola Jokic, questionable for tomorrow, did not practice today. And Terry Rozier, upgraded to questionable for tomorrow. That's a good sign. The upgrade generally leads to playing, although oftentimes that's the last-minute upgrade. Like, if a guy gets upgraded from out to doubtful at the last minute, sometimes they all of a sudden go from doubtful to in. It's this weird last-second progression The fact that he's been upgraded from doubtful to questionable a day in advance, I don't know that we can read too much into that, but it does mean he's getting closer. But let's go ahead and dive into yesterday's recap, because the the injury tidbits for today are not all that compelling. Speaking of Charlotte, a team we just talked about with their players missing, they beat Orlando 120-111. Good start to the year for the Hornets, who are pretty deep this year and kind of withstanding a couple of those injuries. P.J. Washington, Terry Rozier... Kelly Oubre, who we thought might be a reasonable streamer, was awful. Mason Plumley, who we kind of knew would be a decent streamer, was decent. No surprises there, really. If you're freaking about uh, freaking out about Lamelo Ball, don't. Seven point six boards, three assists, three steals, bad shooting game. 
we knew the shooting was going to level off at some point. I don't know exactly how long it's all going to take for him to kind of settle into where we expect him to be, but dude was shooting like 52%. Now he's down to 43%, but he's still number 12 thanks to the fact that he hasn't missed a free throw yet, and he's at 26-6 and with two steals and three and a half three-pointers a game. He's going to come back. He's going to continue to come back to earth. He'll miss a couple free throws. Probably not going to score 20 points with three and a half three-pointers a game, but I guess it's conceivable. But regardless, the this type of game we knew was coming. He wasn't going to be like the number three guy in fantasy the whole year because to get to that apex, you pretty much have to be really good in both percentages, and I don't think he is. Again, this sounds like we're knocking him. Rather, it was sort of a missed opportunity to try to get a first-rounder for him when the absolute best scenario for LaMelo is probably to be around top 20-something, low 20s, on a per-game basis. So he'll come back towards that, and that's still very good. That's where you got him, probably. So if he hits ADP, that's terrific, but there was this little window where you might have been able to turn him into a first-rounder. Uh, he got into foul trouble early. I know it's hard to tell because he only had two fouls in the ball game, but he picked up those first two right out of the shoot. And then, uh, again, this, the second unit for Charlotte's been really, really good lately. So Ish Smith did a great job and they just, they didn't have to go back to LaMelo on a game where he wasn't playing all that well. Cody Martin played well. Jalen McDaniels played well off the bench. Miles Bridges continues to be a damn revelation. He's been unbelievable. He's number one. He's the number one player in fantasy right now by totals. I suppose we should look at per-game stuff. He's still very good. He's number six per game. Uh, LaMelo is number 22 per game, which I think is about where we expected he would max out. I don't think we had Miles Bridges at number six at any point this year. Still, we have to take a look at this one as well. I had someone ask me on Twitter, why do I call a guy like Miles Bridges a sell high? Could he really just be better this year? And the answer is yes, Yes, he could just be better this year, but not this much better. We have to be able to analyze things in grades, where for Bridges, he's taken 18 and a half shots a game so far this year. There aren't that many dudes that take that many shots. Like, he's inside the top 25 in field goal attempts so far this year. He's also shooting almost four and a half free throws per game. So, like, we're talking about a guy whose usage is just to the moon at the moment, his steals at, right now, the steal rate is crazy high. His rebounding rate is pretty damn high. His shooting is ridiculous. That's the thing that you can really grab onto. He's not going to shoot 53% with three threes on 18 shots per game this year. And he's probably not going to shoot 91% on a high-volume free throw. He's just been amazing. The second half to that, though, is what is your target? Where do we think he falls back to? Because right now you're looking at it and you're saying to yourself... This guy could fall back, and he still would be really good. Um, I would say top 50 is probably a, a pretty fair target for him. If you look for someone inside the top 50, uh, that's, that's a return that I'd be comfortable with on Bridges, someone that you know is settling in there. Perhaps you could even target someone who's currently settled in that 40 to 50 range that maybe you feel has a whole lot of upward trajectory waiting to kick in like I don't think you're gonna get James Harden he does happen to sort of fall in that mix 
The other guys between 40 and 50 probably don't quite cut it. Nico Vucevic is at 36. I don't think you could get him, but there's another guy that has upward mobility still. Could you get Demonis Sabonis? Is it 25? Eh, probably not. So I don't know. A couple of things to look at, that's for sure. The, the, the names of guys in that mix, maybe a Jaron Jackson Jr. who's in the 50s after uh, basically fouling out in a quarter and a half yesterday. There's a guy with infinite upside that hasn't hit any of it, and he's already inside the top 60 so far this year. I mean, he couldn't throw a stone in the ocean at the moment. And then foul trouble. He was top 25, actually, before yesterday's ball game, which is kind of the amazing part of it. So that's the Miles Bridges story. Uh, Orlando side, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., those guys continue to be fine, provided they don't have to play the same position on the floor. Cole Anthony's actually been decent lately, and I know I've ragged on him on the podcast as someone who generally fits more in the points league build, but he's actually been good enough at the free throw line along with good enough popcorn stuff that he's been able to overcome his terrible shooting, and he's inside, just inside the top 80 right now. So go ahead and roll the dice on Cole Anthony. Nobody's really coming for his usage at the moment because Jalen Suggs is currently overwhelmed by the NBA. They're not going to play the veterans more than a few minutes of ball game. generally, what veterans they have. Terrence Ross, I guess he got 30 minutes yesterday. And Anthony's the orchestrator. He's the creator on that team, and there really isn't another one, besides potentially Suggs down the line, until Markel Fultz gets back. Okiki's not really a creator either, nor is Jonathan Isaac. Those guys are going to take a lot of stuff away from Franz Wagner, from the two big men when they return, but it's really only Fultz that's threatening Anthony. Cole's been kind of the horse on that team. So go ahead, pick him up. It seems like he's being, currently he's being allowed to sort of just do enough to where his deficiencies are being overwhelmed by the positives and uh, just ride it until the wheels come off because they will eventually. And, you know, when we, when we get there, then you make that call. Atlanta, New Orleans, not a whole lot to read into in this ball ballgame. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker had one of the games we were kind of I don't want to say warning you guys about, but the reason that I was generally afraid to draft him in fantasy leagues, he was going like around 90, and he's actually ahead of that right now, despite shooting 35% from the field. Here's the thing. I'd love to say, well, a mean reversion is coming for him. It's probably just going to be a bad shooting year. But currently, because Josh Hart is out and Zion Williamson is out, he's been able to get enough shots up to get to 15 points, two plus three-pointers, seven rebounds, two assists, 2.4 combined defensive stats. As those things taper off, which they will, this is not a guy you expect to average seven rebounds a game. I don't care how good of a rebounding guard he is. They just don't. Guards don't average seven rebounds a game. You can find me an example of it. Okay. Can you show me any consistent examples of it? A good rebounding guard is, like, near five. So seven's coming down. Steals and blocks are coming down. Points threes, I guess that could hold. Free throw percent, we don't really know. It's up this year, but you know, it, could ju- it could just be a good one. But right now, he's sort of got nowhere to go but down, despite the low field goal percent. Even if that comes up a little bit, all these other things are way over their skis. So, again sort of a similar situation to what we talked about earlier. He's got plenty of room to operate while guys are out. 
But if you can move him after a good ball game, I would condone it. Malcolm Brogdon left there, lost to Toronto in the third quarter with a sore hamstring. So it begins Barney Gumble style with Brogdon. We knew the injury was coming at some point. We were hoping it might be, you know, a few more weeks into the season. He's already been ruled out for tomorrow, as we already mentioned earlier in the podcast, which means it's TJ McConnell time, finally. Rick Carlisle was giving Malcolm Brogdon way too many minutes here to start the year. They had to know that the injury was en route if you got him playing 37 minutes per game, including this 22-minute half ball game. So he was higher than that. He was at like 39 minutes of ball game, which, by the way, answers the question of why wasn't TJ McConnell playing? Because they were overplaying Brogdon to try not to lose every ball game, and now they got burnt. It was a bad strategy. I think they were just trying to stay afloat until Karis LeVert gets back, and it didn't work. So, McConnell's got a, a wide-open road, and I'm glad we didn't punt on him after a couple of ball games because the, the minutes Brogdon was playing, that was never going to be sustainable. Elsewhere, no real changes on the Indiana side. Toronto side, Chris Boucher got to play a little bit. He got up to 18 minutes in this ballgame, and he was really only like a made shot away from a useful fantasy line. Obviously, we want more. Not going to try to play this off as some sort of massive victory, but it is a baby step in the right direction. Uh, Preston Chichua got 27 minutes in this blowout. It, it didn't really turn into a blowout until late. You could see the starters on the Toronto side generally still played their normal minutes. So this is pretty much the rotations that Nick Nurse was going to use, maybe outside of like the last minute. Two minutes at absolute most. Ken Birch, 19 and a half minutes. Uh, I got to ask the question, where did the extra four minutes for Boucher come from? Uh, they could come from all sorts of places. Pascal Siakam's return is going to complicate things. That probably puts Delano Blanton uh, in the zero minutes category. You probably see... That it's possible that Boucher goes back down to zero. It really is. I think we might see Scotty Barnes lose a couple of minutes. Gary Trent probably uses loses a couple of minutes when Pascal Siakam comes back. They're not going to call all come from one place. Because uh, right now, OG Ananobi's mostly playing a stretch four for this team, but they have a lot of guys that are kind of interchangeable in terms of switching on defense and whatever positions you want to call it on a basketball court. So they'll have some questions to be sure. Um, Achua is going to lose some time as well. But on the Boucher front, I get it, man. This is frustrating. It's extraordinarily frustrating. We probably used the seventh round pick on him, which again, seventh round pick doesn't pan out. It's not the end of the world. But you could see it even in this one. He tried to make some better plays they gave him a little bit more wiggle room to get out there and and run a little bit. Still got his two steals and his block in 18 minutes a game. His defensive stats are always crazy. And now, if he can work himself back into any kind of usage, because you could see he was very passive. He wanted to be a team player and get his minutes back. And he had the lowest usage of anybody on the team that actually took a shot. Lowest. Lower than Birch, lower than Achua. That's not generally his style, so stick with it here. Remember, we are one week into the, into the season at the moment. Good stuff from OG and Freddie Van Fleet and Scotty Barnes, and actually kind of Gary Trent also, though he missed a bunch of shots, and, you know, that's how that goes. Uh, but good to see Van Vliet. He's now back on track, and after a very rough start, he's number 53. Didn't take long. One of that giant assist game 
And now this well-rounded affair. Washington beat Boston 116-107. Celtics are weird right now. Jason Tatum looks off. Jalen Brown looks hurt. Marcus Smart, we know he's dealing with a migraine. The big guys looked good. Time Lord, double-double with four blocks. Al Horford, double-double with a pair of threes. Dennis Schroeder played well, although apparently he didn't defend well late. I didn't actually watch that part live. Uh, So Boston lost. On the Schroeder front, it really does seem like that sixth-man gunner role is his. He took 15 shots. If he's getting that many looks in a ball game, and I don't know that that's going to happen every night, but 15 shots is more than enough for Schroeder to hit even category league value. He was a guy who was eyeballing more in points formats, but he's probably a category league guy now. So go ahead and flip him into the roster if you hadn't already. Montrez Harrell gets a massive bump on the Washington side with Daniel Gafford out. Hurt his quad early in yesterday's ball game and obviously didn't hit fantasy value. Bradley Beal took him 25 shots to get the 17 points. He'll be okay. Beal's rusty as hell. He'll be fine. But Harrell's the guy as you look towards the future and whatever's going on with Daniel Gafford. When he comes back, you readjust. A lot of this stuff right now is injury-related. Miami beat Brooklyn. Jimmy Butler, 17-14, four steals and a block. Didn't even shoot the ball well. I do love me some Jimmy Butler. That's for darn sure. I, you guys know I'm all over the Butler freight train. He's number 11 in category leagues right now per game basis. And that's after a couple of bad ones, actually, to start the year. But he's been he's been pretty awesome since then. I, I still think Butler's going to end up being one of the biggest draft day steals. Yahoo adjusted his pre-rank up after having him way down low early. And that was one that we attacked with full force until their adjustment. And then we still did. I took him on the turn in some spots. Everybody's like, oh, but he's, you know, his ADP is like 18 or 19. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? That's so far off that I'll take him half a round even before that at the front of a draft. Dwayne Dedman, too good of a backup right now. So Adebayo's minutes are down a little bit. His assists are way down. And yeah, some of that has to do with Kyle Lowry being in town, the fact that Miami now has two ball handlers. But at the same time... This is a team that, like, that was Goran Dragic's spot when he was healthy. And I know that Lowry is a better facilitator than Dragic, but there's kind of a learning process happening in Miami right now. And they're fortunate that they're winning ballgames while they're learning. I want to point out, though, uh, someone responded, I, I, my tweet storm last night, I said something like, I expect Adebayo's assist to come back up a little bit. And they said, no, they won't. I said, okay, well, that's completely misunderstanding the subtleties of the universe. Adebayo right now is at one and a half assists per ball game, which is not like that's bad even for a big man. Last year, he averaged 5.4. The year before that, he was at 5.1. The year before that, he was behind Hassan Whiteside and still averaged 2.2 assists in 23 minutes per ball game. So if you guys think at 1.5 is going to stick... You're wrong. You're flatly wrong. He's playing 30 minutes a ball game, which is down three from last year, probably because Dwayne Dedman has been so good. Uh, and also because Miami had a couple of blowouts in there. Orlando was a blowout. Milwaukee was a blowout. Um, Indiana was a closer ball game, and he played 39 minutes in that one. So there you go. The other side of this is dudes he's passing to have to make their shots. And no one's making shots in the whole freaking NBA right now. 
Miami won this game shooting 39.5% because the Nets shot 38.8% from the field. We are in a severe offensive dump right now. Some of it is because of how officials are cracking down on foul calls. Guys are not getting calls, so they're just missing goofy looks at the rim. The only guys that are getting free throws, I shouldn't say only, but the, the vast majority of the volume foul shooters right now are big men. They're big men. Rudy Gobert leads the NBA in free throws per game. Then Giannis, Anthony Davis, that's the top three. DeMar DeRozan at seven and a half. He's your next one. Embiid. Jimmy Butler at seven, because he still finds a way. Adebayo at seven. The little guys that are still in the mix, Steph Curry, he's around seven. Jaws at six and a half. But basically, you're talking about big wings who I've always been very good at drawing fouls in the paint. You know, these are DeMar DeRozan's going to the rim when he gets fouled. Jimmy Butler's going to the rim. The only shooter on that board that's getting fouled is Steph Curry, and he does more driving than people realize. And then as a result, you look at field goal percent for some of this stuff, and like DeMar DeRozan shooting 42%, Butler 48, Steph 43, Shea Gilgis Alexander 45, Chris Middleton 44. Brogdon, 44. Tatum, 42. Everybody sucks right now. Which, of course, is an unfair thing to say. These guys are the greatest basketball players in the universe, but they kind of suck right now. Do I have an explanation beyond the foul stuff? Yes, I do, actually. My explanation is, and I don't know that anybody would admit to it in the NBA, nor do... I mean, I don't care if they do or they don't, but because of the way the last now... 17 months have gone since COVID hit NBA universe in March of 2020, the NBA players haven't had their normal break, if you catch my meaning. So when the NBA shut down in March, nobody really knew what was going on. So players went home, they isolated, whatever. They were like trying to stay in shape for a while. Nobody ever really shut themselves down. And then, oh, it was okay. Come back together in June. Two and a half, three months later, get back into shape, uh, quick training camp, bubble, crazy bubble run, two months off, next season, less than two months until training camp. It's like a month and a half between the end of the finals and training camp. Then the next season came, and then we had the shortened off season again. If you guys, by the way, if you listening to this podcast feel like I do, when I hear that in my head and when I think back about what we've done on the fantasy NBA side, we didn't really have to do fantasy stuff for the bubble. I did because we were bored as crap during that stretch. But there really hasn't been an opportunity for anybody to take a deep breath. So I think that these NBA players were like, look, I got a three-month offseason this time around. I am doing nothing. I am going to run on a treadmill and swim in a pool for the next three months. And whatever the hell happens at the beginning of the NBA season, I'm going to be healthy but I'm going to be rusty. And I think we're getting some of that right now. So these guys are all playing themselves into season shape. The field goal percents will start to come up. The free throws will start to come up as well. I got sidetracked on a discussion of Bam Adebayo, and we'll come back to it now. The point of all of this is, Bam, 24-9 and with zero assists and zero steals and zero blocks. Do you guys really think that magically Kyle Lowry being in town has turned Bam Adebayo from a 
2.3 combined steals and blocks guy per year to a 1.1? Do you really think that his turnovers, which are stuck at two and a half and have been for the last two and a half seasons, are going to stay the same and his number of assists are going to drop from five and a half to one and a half? Stop it. Look, I'm also a pragmatic fellow. There's a very reasonable chance that his assists do come down a little bit from five and a half to something like maybe three and a half or four. And that's annoying. That puts a dent into his value. What I do like about Bam so far, he's been real aggressive on offense. He's currently averaging his highest number of shots per game at 13.5. His field goal percent is actually a little bit down right now, which I have to think that also probably comes up a little bit. Small sample size theater, as it may be. Free throw shooting's good on high volume so far. So there's actually a lot that's kind of hidden to like about Bam. Assists are going to come up. Rebounds are great. Steals and blocks are going to come up. The mean. The thing about this, this isn't even about Bam anymore. This is just about analysis. We're four games into the season for most of these guys. If these things happened in the middle of the year, we wouldn't blink an eye. But because we're like, it's because it's the first four games, we're all trying to draw way more conclusions from things than we have to. Will Bam be a top 15 per game guy this year? No, I don't think he ever was going to be. And even during draft season, I was like, I like Bam in the second round. I even, I said to you guys, I was like, he's probably going to be like in the, in the 20 range. He was 18 last year. Expectations that he would do a tiny bit less this season. So drop him back by a half round, whatever that is, 24. But the dude only misses games if someone lops a leg off. Totals matter. And you might even have a little bit of a buy low going on him right now. Meanwhile, Tyler Harrow, 14 and 8 rebounds this time, but the field goal percent thing, we knew it was going to level off eventually. He's, uh, despite having a, what I would call a fairly brilliant start to the year, Tyler Hero is outside the top 100. This is just the magic of weird categories. Did you guys know Tyler Hero in four games does not have one steal or one block? Not one. Did you guys know he's averaging 21 points, seven rebounds, and four assists with two three-pointers and taking 19 shots a game, but he's only shooting 42.5% at nearly three turnovers a game? Assist a turnover ratio of like 1.3 to 1? I know. It's weird. It seemed like he was blowing the roof off the building and he's not inside the top 100 because you have to do stuff in those other categories. They matter. I still think you can probably sell high on him because I think most people saw what he did. He had that 30-point ball game. He had the 10-assist game. And they don't realize that he hasn't had a single steal or block so far. Or they do and they don't care. I know I just spent a bunch of time talking about Miami. I actually think the biggest story in this game comes from the other side, and that's Bruce Brown now really locking himself into starters' minutes. He is a must-add player in all formats until we hear anything at all about Kyrie Irving. He's a defensive player who can hit some open shots. He fits in great. We saw how, how good he looked when guys were out late last year. So lock him in. Add Bruce Brown in as many places as you can. You're going to get rebounds, steals, some threes, and decent field goal percent from a guy who's shooting guard eligible. And I think played small forward and power forward at times last night. He might end up with eligibility like all the way across the board. Patty Mills, by the way, will probably bounce back. The fact that he's playing close to 30 minutes a game makes me think you probably can roll with him. 
although, again, it's specialist appeal. Lakers lost to the Thunder, ugly ball game. Russell Westbrook got ejected, but who cares? I mean, we know the Lakers at this point. Melo is teetering on the brink of points league value. Don't trust him anything beyond that. Darius Baisley had his one big game every two weeks. Shea Gilgis-Alexander starting to settle in a little bit, although the field goal percent is low right now. That was better. Josh Giddy double-double. 18 points, 10 assists. That's a good look for him. It's going to be up and down. Remember, I'll keep saying that each time. So don't freak out when there's a great one. Don't freak out when there's a bad one. It'll level off, and he's just going to get better every month. So that's that thing. This is kind of what you call an active stash, although he's better than that because he's playing big minutes. But you're going to have those games where you're like, oh, no. And he just sinks you for a week. But you can see the potential built in. Minnesota-Milwaukee, not a whole lot of surprises here. I will say, sell on D'Angelo Russell if you can get anything for him right now. Those good games, when they come along, that's your opportunity to try to get off of that ship. No to Jared Vanderbilt. Nope. Everybody wanted me to get Jaden McDaniels. I said, nope. Now you guys ask me about Jared Vanderbilt. I say, nope. Grayson Allen continues to be a solid stream on the Milwaukee side. Giannis had a big ball game. I think they need Drew Holiday back. Get this feeling. Curious, because uh, George Hill played really well in this one. Only nine points, but four assists, three steals. He's an efficiency guy. I, you know, I don't know what the timeline is on Drew. They've been a little bit closed off with that information. And then Hill wasn't getting most of the minutes until this one. Uh, if we find out he's starting again, I'd be in for a George Hill spot start. Not someone that I'm racing out for. Sacramento Phoenix, no surprises in this ballgame either. Uh, Darren Fox, tried to warn you guys. That's an overdraft staring you right in the face. Buddy Heald looks pretty good so far. Halliburton bringing the efficiency. Rashawn Holmes, awesome. Harrison Barnes has been crazy good. He's a sell high also, if that wasn't immediately evident. And it should be, because he's number 16 in 9-cat right now, and he's no way that he finishes this year inside the top 50. I shouldn't say no way. I guess there's a way, but he's currently shooting 51% and hitting over four three-pointers a game. As Guys don't do that. Sorry. Not, I mean, is Harrison Barnes Steph Curry now? Probably not. That Phoenix season win total under was... One of the easier ones. Nobody is as healthy as they were last year, then goes to the finals and has the same fire in their belly to start the next season. This is just a listless team with a finals hangover. You can do all the analysis you want. They're a listless team with a finals hangover. They'll figure it out. Every sport happens to every team in every sport. If you go to the finals and you win, you generally have a hangover. If you go to the finals and you lose, you always have a hangover. Because the regular season just doesn't feel important after that. Portland beat the Grizzlies 116-96. This was my uh, bet for yesterday. I put that out on Twitter for you guys. Had a, I was on freebie duty for the HoopBall gaming team. That means that your wager pass play goes out to the general public. On the Blazers minus two, um, you just knew they were going to bounce back after how poorly they played against the Clippers. You didn't know how they were going to get there. But they got there somehow. Got off to a really bad start in the rebounding department, Portland, and they kind of turned that around later in the ballgame. Better defense for the Blazers. Anthony Simons was useful in that regard. He had some, some three-pointers. Nasir Little was good in that regard. Uh, and then Nurk's minutes were down in this one because, look, simple fact is Cody Zeller and Larry Nance Jr. as a duo were playing so much better defensively 
than the Nurkic-Roko combination that the Blazers kept him out there a little bit longer. You're not picking up Cody Zeller because who cares? And the problem with Larry Nance right now is even in a game where he got a couple extra minutes, he was still mired at just 15. And he played well, eight points, five boards, had himself a steal, four for six shooting. I continue to believe that at some point Portland will realize that they need to use more Larry Nance. I just don't know when it's going to happen. So as I put on Twitter, you know your league's better than I do. If you think you can drop him and nobody will pick him up, then drop him. Because he's annoying right now. But I like Larry Nance. He's one of my favorite, like, 13th round draft picks this year. Uh, If he gets into the 20s in minutes the way we assumed he would at some point, he's a lock to beat that value. But right now, he's not. He's not getting the minutes. So I can't tell you you have to hold on to it when there are hot free agents out there that are doing more than him. It's not like Larry Nance has, like, top 60 upside or something like that. So you're not hanging on for him to hit the jackpot you'd be hanging on for him to hit like mid to late rounder which i still like and would be useful in all formats but he ain't there yet dame continues to not shoot at least well took 22 shots i guess that's a good sign 20 points 10 assists for dame he was a little bit better in this one was a uh, more active distributor against a very bad memphis defense Ooh, the grizzlies defense is bad and then on the memphis side boy did they stink in this ballgame. Did. I didn't say do. I said did. They don't stink overall, but they did stink in this ballgame. John Morant had a solid one, although he did have nine turnovers. Desmond Bain shot the ball well, and then no one else even bothered to wake up. JJJ nearly fouled out in 18 minutes. DeAnthony Melton went 0 for 8 shooting. Yowza. And Steven Adams got 17 quality minutes in the ballgame, so blech. Nasir uh, Little on that Portland side is, is again, I, I mentioned this yesterday, he's probably worth a stream while Norman Powell's out and we're waiting on more information there. And then finally, last game on a big Wednesday, going long here on the recap part of the show, Cleveland beat the Clippers in the ugliest game of the year easily, 92-79. Evan Mobley, double-double. Colin Sexton, 26 points. Darius Garland, 16-6. Kevin Love, double-doubled. Ricky Rubio, 15 off the bench in 28 minutes. Larry Markkinen still can't make a damn bucket, but nine rebounds and a steal, and he's just primed to take off. And Jared Allen was really the only big disappointment from the Cavs regulars. I really do like this Cleveland team, provided they can move a little quicker, play a little better than this ballgame. They're a good rebounding team. They're defending, and... uh, the you know it's weird to say the additions of Markinen and Rubio and then Mobley in the draft have really made a big difference for them. They're not as good as they've looked so far, but they are better than last year. So I I need to take back some of the things I said about the Cavs being one of the worst teams in the NBA. They're just sort of a mediocre team now, and that's good. That's good enough to make them potentially fun. When you score 79 points, you're not going to have much fantasy value. Paul George was not very good. He did get four steals, though, and double-doubled. Reggie Jackson made 40% of his shots, which is actually a step up for him these days. Eric Bledsoe, three boards, three assists, three steals. I like that triple three. was going for a Yahtzee there, but five turnovers and missed most of his shots. I mean, it was generally ugly, so you're looking more for opportunity. So stick with Bledsoe. Obviously stick with Reggie Jackson, Paul George, of course. But the interesting note here is that Nick Batum played 32 minutes in this one. And I know some of that has to do with Marcus Morris being out working on strengthening his knee. But keep one eye on Nick Batum just in case it starts to stick in that starting unit. Remember, when he was playing big minutes last year, 
He was like a top 65 guy. You can't totally write that off. Big thank you to everybody who reached out yesterday uh, on my recruiting pitches, not even on the podcast, but out on Twitter. I'll throw it out there again today. If you're looking to cover a team for us here at HoopBall, not necessarily in fantasy, but in reality, hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Please do follow me over there. I've been doing all sorts of really interesting, I think, game, not games so much, but fantasy discussions on social media. I've been extremely extremely active this year. It's one of my goals for this season is to really stay locked in on social because that's where you can get stuff out quickly as opposed to sort of wrapping it all together into one daily podcast. Obviously, this will still be my baby. Don't worry. Podcast isn't going anywhere. But I want to talk to you guys on Twitter. If you don't have it, get it, and then be very careful with who you follow because it can get ugly super quick. Uh, Also, recruiting for salespeople at HoopBall, DFS writers and full season fantasy. If you're interested in any of that stuff, hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. And also, thank you to everybody that continues to take those 90 seconds out of your day to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or the podcast app on your mobile device. Couple of reviews trickle in each day. And I appreciate that. I, I, that just means that a couple of you are like, you know what? Dan's right. Today's the day I should squeeze, I should squeeze in a review. Um, and uh, yeah, one of the, and I'll listen to the feedback too. One of the latest ones mentioned that I need to make sure to keep saying the player names instead of saying he over and over again because it's easy to forget who I'm talking about when I go on a particularly long rant. I actually got told by someone else that I got a lot better at that over the last year. So I'll keep working on it, but hopefully that part is also true. Uh, But again, thank you for those that have done it. We're up to 719 reviews on the show. That's crazy. I can't believe we're at that point. Thinking back like four years ago when we had a handful and they were all from hoopball people and now over 700. Let's keep them coming. Thank you. Thank you to everybody for doing that for me. And now your homework. For this evening, it's a slightly busier Thursday than usual. We got six games tonight. Atlanta is in Washington, taking on the Wizards on the back-to-back. You already heard Daniel Gafford ruled out, so Montrez Harrell's an easy go. Hawks are a team where, you know, we're continuing to track the wing minute stuff, but nothing's really shaking out so far. You kind of want to bench them all. You can't drop them, but you kind of want to bench them. I can't fault you for it. Detroit, Jeremy Grant, questionable right now. If he's out, you got to get Kelly Olenek in your lineup. If he's in, I think you still might consider it. I do wonder if Dwayne Casey watched Olenek play a bunch of power forward in that last ball game and thought, hmm, suppose I could try this. But who knows? Philly side, I'm mostly giving up on the streams in replacement of Ben Simmons, although against Detroit, maybe this is an opportunity to for Tyrese Maxey to get it going again. It just seems like Seth Curry has grabbed... I know he had a bad blast ball game, but it, it does seem like he's grabbed a lot of that momentum. And then, fantasy-wise, his his game just translates better to 9-cat. Utah, they are without surprises. Houston, they are exclusively surprises. You don't need to watch this game live if you don't want to, but obviously we're going to pay attention to whatever's, whatever Houston is doing. Is Eric Gordon going to keep seeing minutes? Will Daniel Tice keep seeing these minutes? I know we're only a week into the season, but it still seems weird to roll Eric Gordon out there and risk 
inevitably is going to be an injury because dude hasn't stayed healthy for more than three weeks in years. And you know they're trying to move him. So what really is the plan there, Houston? Can guys like Christian Wood and Jay Sean Tate, even Kevin Porter Jr., who you guys know I hate his fantasy game, but these guys need to be the ones doing stuff right now. Look, Rockets, you're a bad team. Just lean into it. Knicks and Bulls, this should be a fun one. Just watch this game because it's going to be fun. I don't know that we're going to take a ton of fantasy stuff away, but, I mean, you can find out what is how does Mitchell Robinson handle Vooch as opposed to Joel Embiid in his last matchup. This should be, I think, maybe a little bit less complicated because Vooch isn't going right into his teeth quite the same way. What about Kemba Walker? Can he follow it up with another decent ball game? Maybe. I think the Knicks win this one. But this should be a fun should be a fun ball game. Spurs and Mavericks, a little Texas battle. No Doug McDermott, so Devin Vassell, opportunity to maybe get a little bump on the Spurs side. You might even see Keldon Johnson take a few extra shots, which again, he's really more of a points league guy, but it's out there. On the Dallas side, no Kristaps Porzingis. Does that mean we'll get enough Dwight Powell for a single ball game? And if we do, then we can put that in our pockets. I wouldn't say pick him up and start him here. I would say watch it. Put it in your pocket, and if Powell's good here, then the next time Borsinkis misses a ball game, then you go ahead and hit the go button. Green light it. I'm waiting for Dorian Finney-Smith to actually start making some of his shots because that's a dude who's getting plenty of playing time, and the peripheral stuff is excellent. One steal, one block, seven boards, almost two assists, about a three-pointer, but 32% on nine shots a game. We need that coming up by probably about 13%, which is effectively more than one additional made field goal. So you add one more field goal in there. I don't know how many are going to be three-pointers, but suddenly he goes from 7-7-2 seven, seven and two with a steal and a block and almost a three-pointer to like 9 or 10 points, 7-2 and two with a three-pointer, one steal, one block on 45% shooting, and that is a top 85 guy. I think Dorian Finney-Smith ends up in that 85 to 90 range. It really feels like he's hanging on there. And I don't think you're going to have to fight anybody to the death for him right now because of how far down the board he is. But that's almost exclusively because he cannot hit a shot. The other stuff looks pretty good. Grizzlies on the back-to-back. Flew down from Portland. They'll take on the Warriors tonight. This is not an easy back-to-back. Warriors favored by five and a half. I do think Memphis plays better because the whole team was just crap against the Blazers yesterday. You wonder if there was any kind of Los Angeles. I don't want to say hangover because that has implications, but that was sort of like the marquee game and then everybody had the letdown. And would this be the one they wake back up again? You got to think Jaws going to be fired up to play against Steph Curry on the opposite side. I cannot imagine that JJJ and Melton... And Adams and all of those guys are as bad again here on the back-to-back. So from a betting side, I think I kind of like the Grizzlies in this ballgame. And then from a fantasy side, I don't expect a whole lot in terms of new information here. Warriors seem relatively predictable at this point. Grizzlies relatively predictable outside of the sort of if they don't wake up for a night kind of game. And and that's your Thursday. So uh, no real homework. A couple of things to pay attention to. Individual items to sort of key in on Kelly Olynyk is a key item the Atlanta Wings are a key item the whole Houston roster is a key item Kemba Spurs without McDermott Mavs without Porzingis like there's no T 
team-wide thing I'm really paying close attention to, but a lot of little miniature action items that are kicking around on the board. Just to watch, just watch Knicks and Bulls and enjoy it. Let TNT take you on home. Okay, that'll do it. That's your Thursday show. Again, tomorrow, the great Aaron Bruski back on the pod. Looking forward to that one. We'll be recording uh, our segment a little bit later on today. And then we'll do what I like to call the sandwich, where I'll record the beginning and the end, and you'll be able to tell because I told you about it. Again, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Baspris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Look forward to talking to you guys there. This is Fantasy NBA Today, show 28 in 28 days in the month of October. Three to go. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we roll right into a damn week again. (laughs) Don't get a break. Ah, It's actually 36 shows in 36 days. That's a pisser, isn't it? Then we'll finally take a weekend off, which is good because I'm uh, going to a wedding that weekend. First thing I'm basically doing outside of the house in 17 months. 19 months. How long's it been? 20? Stop it. This is Fantasy NBA Today. That thing I know for certain. I know I'm Dan Vespers, and I know I will talk to you guys soon. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.